0: Dye Chips. If you went to Porth County in the 1960s or 70s, or Tonapandy Grammar in its last years, or Tonapandi Comprehensive School early on, you'll know who I'm talking about. Mr. David Thomas, head of history at Porth, later headmaster of Pandy Grammar and deputy head of the Comp. Dye Chips was a real Rhonda character, witty, passionate and conventional, history's most eccentric history teacher. He swore blind that he was a Time Lord, and claimed that the clapped-out Morris Minor he drove was his TARDIS. He was a short man, very short, no taller than the Titches of Form 1, dapper, always neatly turned out in jacket and tie, and his specs with trademark half-rim frames. He'd arrive at school, and struggle away from his Time Machine, if that's what it was, lugging a large briefcase in one hand. The briefcase would be packed with weighty reference books and scores of exercise books he'd taken home for marking. My great friend Phil George, who was also taught by him, always pictures him leaning dramatically to one side to counterbalance the massive load he was carrying. Diechips was a strict disciplinarian. Perhaps because he was noticeably shorter than almost everyone he taught, he kept order with flashes of volcanic temper. In an era when schoolmasters regularly dispensed physical punishment, he'd frighten us back into line by threatening to yank our hair. Side-head tweaks, a sudden twist of our sideburns, for minor misdemeanours, and excruciatingly painful top-head extractions, for anything more serious. If he ever had to tell the whole class off, he declaimed angrily and apparently in all seriousness that he'd turn us into toads and tie us to his windscreen wipers. No one really believed him, though on the last day of term one summer, some schoolboy prankster knotted a dozen plastic toy frogs to the wipers of his Morris Minor. Every pupil who walked past shivered with a moment's doubt about whether Die Chips's supernatural powers might be real after all. David Howell Thomas had been born in Combe Park in 1935. His mother was a nurse, his father had left school aged 12 to go underground. They were strong socialists and Welsh Methodists, two things that influenced dye chips for the rest of his life. He got his nickname as a schoolboy at Porth County. He would climb over the school wall to go and get his lunch from the local chip shop. He was bright, got a first class degree in history from Cardiff and trained to be a teacher at Cambridge. His teaching practice was done at Eton. <laughs> Imagine if he'd stayed on there, getting to grips with all those future prime ministers. British politics would be quite different by now. Instead, he got his first teaching post at the King Edward Seventh Academy in Kings Lynn, where he was soon famous for snorting snuff in class, another of his idiosyncrasies, and challenging pupils to take a pinch themselves. But the pull of the Rhondda was strong. In 1961, he came back, to head the history department at Porth County, bringing his own unique teaching methods with him. Die Chips was a dictator. A great dictator, but a dictator nonetheless. In the days before much of Welsh history was properly covered by readily available textbooks, and without today's instant online access to source material, Die Chips spent 95% of every lesson dictating to us. At breakneck speed, whole chapters of his own research work and theses. We had to write it all out word for word, page after page, directly into our exercise books. The only respite we got was if a sentence began with the word, however, when diechips would pause each and every time to deliver melodramatically a deafening instruction about punctuation. It came across like an overstated parody of a fairground barker. HOWEVER, comma, and then after a long pause in the most reasonable of tones as though nothing out of the ordinary had just occurred, always a comma after however, and then instantly the pace of his dictation shot up to full throttle again, and on we went. Diechips's method was further complicated by dividing the material into a rigid hierarchy of topics, sections, subsections, and sub-subsections, like some complex legal contract. Each heading was cross-referenced to a detailed analysis of past exam papers, offering model answers to any question the WJEC might throw at us. It was convoluted. It was instruction by rote. It was surely a guarantee of academic underachievement. However, comma, always a comma after however, it turned out to be amazingly effective. At the end of Form 4, a year early, the 33 boys in our class sat History O-Level. We all passed. Something like 28 of us got top marks at Grade 1. An astounding performance. I think it even merited a mention in the Ron the Leader. In one lesson, we were on one of Di Chips's Banker Topics, as he called them. Things we were bound to get an exam question about. The History of the South Wales Coalfield. Dychips was dictating a subsection, or perhaps a sub-subsection, analysing the strategies of the coal barons and the rise of entrepreneurship. The bell was about to go for dinner time. We were all flagging, but Dychips powered on with his dictation. In 1828, Robert Thomas opened an exceptionally productive pit at Abercannide near Merthyr, but he died five years later. However, comma, always a comma after however, When his widow Lucy took over the business, she hit upon the idea of selling the coal. Tie chips left the briefest of pauses at that precise point, and an image came to us of these poor miners labouring away for years and years, digging up all that coal, a huge mountain of the stuff just sitting there at the top of the pit, with no one having cottoned on to the idea that you could sell it. One of the boys laughed. And laughter, especially in a classroom, is contagious. In a flash, we were all giggling uncontrollably, and Di Chips started laughing too. Of course, he knew that the full sentence read, she hit upon the idea of selling the coal further afield in the lucrative London market. But we never got that far. Thankfully, Di Chips had seen the funny side himself, so we didn't get turned into toads either. When he retired from teaching, Dychips was ordained as a Methodist minister taking charge of the chapel he'd been brought up in, Capilla Park in Combe Park. He was much in demand locally and further afield. The weekend before he died in 2010, he'd preached at two Welsh chapels in London. His widow Barbara, herself a much-loved teacher, still lives in Tonopandy. and Dychips' legacy lives on too. In the generations of school children, he influenced and inspired. He was one of the pioneers of the idea that Ron the children ought to study Ron the history. That lesson about the coal industry was typical. Academic study of the coal fields past was still in its infancy then. Most of the material dye chips fed us wasn't available in any textbook. He gathered and organized it all himself and he insisted on squeezing as much local history as possible onto a syllabus which, even under the Welsh Joint Education Committee, was dominated by English kings and European wars. (music) To end on a personal note, it's because Die Chips taught us that history begins at home, that Phil George and I, as television producers in later life, gave so much emphasis to place, when we made The Story of Wales, the BBC's official history of our nation, with Hugh Edwards in 2012. The series is back on the BBC iPlayer at the moment, so check it out and you'll see what I mean. Time and again, the audience's delighted reaction to stories located in their own home patch was, I never knew that. Unlike us, not everyone in Wales had had the privilege of being taught by Die Chips, or anyone like him. Not that anyone was like him. As the actor Michael Sheen put it, the story of Wales gave me the education I wish I could have got in school. Learning from dye chips was an education. It was massive fun too. I'm John Geraint Roberts. Join me next time for another journey through time and space in John on the Rhonda.